Welcome to Fresh Start for the Mind. I am your host, Veronica Ramos-Clark. I am a licensed clinical addiction counselor with 28 years experience. This podcast is for anyone looking for a fresh start. My primary job all these years has been to help people get to where they want to be in life. I believe thought rules the world. When you become queen or king of your thoughts, you can rule the world and live the life of your dreams. My intention with this podcast is to help you create a strong sense of purpose and adopt a fresh view on life. You can make a big impact on your life by just making small changes. Most of all, we're going to have fun learning important messages from experts in their respective fields, all of whom have succeeded despite real challenges. Now, are you ready? Let's make it a fresh start today. Hello and welcome to Fresh Start for the Mind. I hope everybody's having a great day today. And today I'm just going to talk about myself, which is a little bit weird for a counselor because we're used to listening to everybody else and asking questions of everybody else. But today I'm going to actually talk about myself so that I seem a little weirded out about it. (laughs) So um, here I go. I was born in 1966, February the 1st. My father was married twice. He was married first and he had five boys and a girl. And then he married my mom and I was the fourth oldest of his second family. I was number 10, I guess, or I was number four. Either way, I always felt like a middle child growing up. My father was an alcoholic. He was a workaholic. He was a a womanizer. I don't know so much of a womanizer, but I know that he went out to the bars and he'd get all dressed up and every once in a while he'd say he's going to go see his girlfriend. He had a terrible temper. He was a gambler. He was also, you know, he had good qualities too. He had, it was a hard worker. He was a workaholic. He was very loyal to his friends. He had lifelong friends. Very generous person. He was generous to a lot of people that he met at work and people that he met that were homeless. We had taken the homeless, our family would. We were a very large family. So I always remember being poor. I, I don't think I ever thought that we missed a meal or anything like that. I just knew that we couldn't afford any type of like real luxuries. Like I I didn't have like designer jeans or or anything like that or cute little purses or earrings or something like that that was nice like other kids did that I saw in school. So I was aware that we didn't have a lot. My father was very moody. He was good when he didn't drink for a while. He was okay. He had an even temperament, but when when he was drinking, he had a good temperament too. He would be a little, be in a kind of a good mood. But when he was on the raw, when he was basically hung over, I guess you could say, it was just a terrible time because his moods were just all over the place and you were walking on pins and needles with that temperament. So that, that was a terrible way, I think, to grow up to have to be fearful all the time. And that's one thing that 
I sometimes when I hear loud noises, it's, it's like post-traumatic stress disorder. Sometimes when I hear loud noises, I, I kind of freak out. You know, I, I think of the fearfulness that I had as a child. And I do remember, you know, good times growing up. You know, I, I remember that even though we didn't have a lot, we had card games that we would play. We had board games we would play. We would play dice. We would play jacks. If, if I'm dating myself, I don't know. <laughs> if if uh, some of you people out there know about jacks. But we would play uh, like dodgeball on the streets, some other games, uh, kick the can growing up. So there were good times and bad times. What ran rampant very heavily is alcoholism in my family and the violent temperament that was there. So we had to learn to adapt. And, and when I tell people that when you're born into an alcoholic family, you have no choice. You're automatically an adult child of an alcoholic and you're automatically codependent because you have no other choice but be codependent. You're kind of forced to be a certain way growing up like that. Let me back up a little bit. Both of my parents were pretty much raised in Mexico for a short time. And my, my father was born in Texas. My mother was born in uh, Mexico. And she lived there up until the time she was 19. My father married her when he was 39 after he had been divorced and had five boys and he adopted a girl. He had six kids already. When he got divorced, he went back to Mexico and he met my mom. They fell in love. And uh, my mom was somebody that was not experienced with a lot of different things. And to come to when, when they got married, he brought her back to the States and she was at a loss because she didn't know how to speak English. She didn't know how to write English. She didn't know anyone here. So for somebody who's an alcoholic and domestically violent, that's just like a dream come true, really, because they want to isolate you. They want to take you away from your family. They want you to just be in your house, not talking to friends and not having a job. And heck, if you can't even speak the language and you, he is your sole person, he had total power and control over my mom. I don't want to say that she never fought back or anything like that. When she saw that he was hitting us as children, she did stand in front of us and, and she did stand up to him at the, on those times. I remember her being pretty brave at those times to defend her children. My father, he had a single mom in Mexico. His father, I don't know what happened to him, but they broke up and his mother was extremely abusive to him. In fact, she used to have him go out and take 10 kettles, little kettles, little mini kettles, cast iron mini kettles, one on each finger. When he was nine years old, she had him go out and see if he could sell lard and she would give him 10 little kettles of lard. And his order was that he had to go out and he had to sell these. And if he came back, without selling them all. And he would really try. He was a hustler. My dad was a hustler. He really tried to sell all of these. But, you know, sometimes he'd come home with one or two left and she would beat the dickens out of him. He decided he had enough when he was nine years old and he ran away from home. 
at times staying with other family members who also were extremely abusive to him. He decided to try his luck in the States and he went from town to town. He told me stories about him going into restaurants and sitting down because he was so hungry. He would clean up himself from the puddles of water if it rained or something and try to clean himself off and make himself look appropriate and walk into a restaurant and order the food that he wanted. And then when they came time to collect for the food, he would just straight up tell them, hey, I, I don't have money for this meal and I'll be happy to wash dishes or do sweep and mop or, or whatever you want me to do. And a lot of times he was taken in and the owners would sometimes have them stay with him and he would take a couple blankets out into their barn or something like that and sleep. And then they'd have him get up early and tend the farm or do whatever chores they needed him to do and then come and work in the restaurant. And when he would get sick of that, he would go to a different town and he'd try the same trick. And at other times he would be violently beaten up and thrown to the streets by the owner. When he got across the border to Texas, he asked his family to take care of him and stuff. And they were also, from what he states, were very abusive to him. So he would hitch on trains. He would op- he, he knew how to open up those doors on those trains. And, and I don't know what their technical names are, but <laughs> he actually called himself a hobo. He said he was a hobo when he was younger. He used to fight in bars for money. Anyway, he would hitch the trains and, and that's, he heard about a job they were hiring at the steel mills in Northwest Indiana. He would take the trains out here until he got out here to Northwest Indiana. And that's how he landed out here. And then he met his first wife and had started family there. And then, then he met my mom. So I, I think growing up, I just remember a person that really didn't know how to express any real feelings of affection or show any kind of real love other than violence, other than being angry. And my mother was very timid. She didn't really know too much about other than caretaking and serving him and watching over us. To me, in my mind, my mom is an angel. She's just so amazing. She put up with so much. I can't even imagine what it was like to grow up the way that she did. And then to be with someone like my dad, it was difficult. My mom also grew up without a dad. Her dad was married to my grandmother, but he lived out in town because in Mexico, it was very common for a man to have two women, one that was his first wife. And then the second one, he had a second one in town or and, and some of my uncles, I think they had women set up in, in different towns and they supported them like that. My grandfather owned a bar and uh, he had working women <laughs> in the bar. So he was very careful of my mom not going anywhere, not walking where he was aware that women got stolen. When they came of age, they didn't have a well at first on their property. I know that my mother you know, only got to a certain age before they told her that she couldn't walk to to the river to get water because they didn't have a well. So there were a lot of 
women, a lot of young girls that would walk to get water and they get stolen. They'd pull up in like a, a car and they would take these young girls away. My mother said that to this day, she still hears people or girls screaming that she could hear like a girl screaming. They would pick her up. They would drag her and she would go kicking and screaming. Just the screams she said, were just, she'll never forget how, how terrifying the scream world. Cause these, these girls knew these girls knew that if they got taken away, they may not ever see their parents again or anyone. They were forewarned. They were told what might happen to them. So my grandfather was aware of these type of things and would tell my mother not to not to go to certain areas, not to walk to certain stores. For some reason, I'm a little bit embarrassed about that, but I mean, I had nothing to do with it. I'm just aware that these things went on. So anyway, my, my mother idolized her father, just idolized him like a god, like the Stockholm Syndrome when someone treats you badly and they've got you kind of captive and you just fall in love with them, that kind of thing. I mean, she absolutely idolized her father like he was a rock star or something. Until this day, you know, she talks about her father. It's very lovingly. I mean, I, I, I don't understand it because he wasn't there for her on a daily basis. And, you know, he abandoned her in a sense. I believe that my mother married my father because it was like maybe marrying her father, not having had a father wanting to have that relationship. Of course, I'm a counselor because I'm always analyzing everything. (laughs) But that's my take on it. So as I was growing up, when I was younger, as young as I can remember, one of the, I, I remember meeting a man and a woman that was dressed in white, a nurse and a doctor, Dr. Ray was his name. When I was very young, I was before, under the age of five, I believe, there was this couple that was just completely entranced by me. They absolutely loved me for some reason. I think I was just a very well-behaved child. My older brother says, you were just, you're just a pretty little girl, you know, so these people took to you, but they would take me out and they would buy me things and just spoil me. Easter time, I I get dressed up really nice. They buy me a beautiful dress with a bonnet, gloves, shoes. I mean, the whole nine yards. And I was just spoiled by them. They would take me to fairs. I would always go to this lady's house and she would make me chicken noodle soup and a grilled cheese sandwich or tomato soup and a grilled cheese sandwich or some other kind of sandwich. And so I just remembered that Dr. Ray would sit me down sometimes and, and have like a very serious talk with me and say, I know you're going to help a lot of people one day. You're going to help a great deal of people one day. You're going to do a lot of healing. And I just remember the word healing and the word helping and a lot of people. And I was very special. And I can tell you, I, I, I don't know where that came from, but he seemed to be very convincing about it. And I always, that's something that I always remember only because of what I do today now. And I was so young with that, when that happened, I'm 55 years old now. And 
I was probably about four or five when that happened. I want to go on to just say that trying to see if there's other things I remember from my youth that stood out. There are obviously other times that I felt like there were angels in my life that defended me in school when there were bullies because I always felt like I was too timid and I really didn't stand up for myself. So there was always people that saw something in me and felt the need to say, hey, you know, leave her alone. You know, she's okay. For some reason, I attracted bullies. So it's no surprise that my first boyfriend was an ultimate bully. Because, you know, when you grow up in a home like this and you're codependent and you take on what I call the fawn role of fawning after whoever the person is that's violent or alcoholic, you kind of take on this role of being somebody that's like a caretaker and and is very serving to people who are like in charge. And, and that was me. And so I attracted a guy, my first boyfriend, really, that was domestically violent. He was actually addicted to marijuana. And he, you know, he talked to me very abusively. And I was kind of used to it because my dad was always calling me stupid and never amount to nothing, that kind of thing. So it wasn't out of the norm, I guess you could say. And you're attracted to what you know. And a lot of people always tell me about women that are in domestic violence roles. And why do they go back? Why do they go back? And, you know, when you're a child and that's what you're raised in, that is kind of your home. That's what you know. So when you're stressed out and you leave somebody, your stress was always having to put up with people acting so strangely or so violently towards you. So that is your comfort zone. So you go back to what you know. I think a breaking point for me was when I almost got choked to death by this boyfriend I had been with, unfortunately, for five years. Not proud of that, but (laughs) I, you know, I just was with this abusive guy for five years. And then I woke up when he almost choked me to death. And I said, you know what? I, I think I could, I'm going to die if I stay in this relationship. And it was a horrible time for me. And I remember being scared. Every impulse does want to go back to an abuser. I know for me with this particular situation, That is when he was the most loving, the most tender, the most absolutely, he said everything right, everything that comes out of an abuser's mouth is so incredibly beautiful. Once they are in the doghouse, you know, once they know that they've done something horrific to you and they've got to try to win you back, that's when the romance comes in. That's when they'll do everything. That's when they'll take care of you or at least this particular abuser was like that. And I think there's the circle of violence. This is a pattern for a lot of abusive men. And for me, it's what always did me in because when someone was kind to me, I was like, oh, that's so sweet. I'm the eternal optimist. I mean, that's always been me. I'm the eternal optimist about everything. And I truly believe that this person had changed. But this time I didn't go back because I was staying at that time with my older sister, when uh, I left him, I, I stayed with my older sister and she was a powerhouse. Like she would never take a man talking to her. 
in a certain way and she wasn't having it. I remember he even came and he broke out one of her windows, uh, her front door window, and the police was called on him and he never came back again. It was enough for him to have the cops called on him, thank goodness. And after that, I was so surprised that it didn't take me that much longer to get over him at that time. And I just got interested in my future and wanting to do something better for myself. I worked for Medware Airlines, and Midway Airlines, unfortunately, went under in Chicago, Illinois. And then they had a program for us to be in something to do with unemployment. And there was like some career counseling type of uh, stuff that was available. My biggest breakthrough just came by accident. Every bad thing that has happened to me, I believe, has been a blessing in my life. I just want to say that. My father being an alcoholic, being abusive, being domestically violent has got me to help people stay off alcohol and drugs and has helped me help men understand how to stop being violent and learning coping skills and ways of of being a better person in their life and helping our community to be safe. So I I just want to say that, that I just feel like everything that has happened to me, I was able to see the opportunity. So losing my job for Midway Airlines brought me the opportunity to go to college. I never thought that college would be possible for a person like me, but it was. And I went through college and I decided to go on after my bachelor's and go on to get my graduate degree, go on to graduate school and get my master's degree. I absolutely am so grateful and so happy that I did that. That's one of the best choices I've ever made in my life. Well, that's all I have for now. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, thank you. Thank you. I am so happy and grateful that you listened to this episode of Fresh Start for the Mind. If you enjoyed this, please share with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review. Also, if you have any questions or if you would like to be a guest on my show, you can visit freshstartforthemind.com. You can also join our Facebook group at Fresh Start for the Mind. Thank you so much again. I truly appreciate your time.